You can be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here, and uh, it is good to see you guys. If you're new, welcome for the first time. If you're not new, welcome back. Uh, I want you to grab a Bible and head to the book of Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, that's where we're going to be this morning. You can look on the screen with us as well. Uh, we're continuing this series, Encounters with Jesus. We've been going through the book of Luke uh, to look at different encounters Jesus has with people and to learn from that. And so we've uh, seen Jesus interact with the shameful. We've seen Jesus, Jesus interact with the religious. We've seen him interact with sinners, enemies, um, all of that. And so if you've missed any of that, Grab it on the podcast and iTunes, listen on the website. But the point of this series is to learn how Jesus interacts with us, but not only that, how we should interact with others. And so that's where we're continuing this morning. So Jesus and the fearful is where we're headed this morning, Luke chapter 12, and we're going to dive right in. So verse 4, look at that verse again with me. It says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do. So some context for that. Uh, verse 1 in chapter 12 tells us there are thousands of people gathered around Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 12. There's thousands of people gathered around Jesus, so much so that it says people are trampling one another. And Jesus sets aside time to talk to his disciples, verse 1 tells us. Verse 1, he's still talking to the disciples, so that's the audience. He says they're friends, and he's speaking to them. And so if you can picture this, you have thousands of people, probably pretty noisy, probably pretty chaotic, people trampling one another. And what does Jesus decide to do? Teach his disciples. Like most preachers hope for little to no distractions, not Jesus. All right, thousands of people, chaos, noisy. He says perfect time for a sermon, right? And he begins to go into that with the disciples, and he tells them not to fear Specifically, if you look at the verse, those who kill the body, meaning don't have a fear of man, of other people. And so Jesus knows his followers would face persecution, even death, because that's what he's going to face, right? And so he knows even if they don't struggle with fear yet, which I imagine they did at times, that they're going to face fear in pretty significant ways. And so as we look at our lives, we don't face a fear of death in regard to that type of persecution, physical, that could lead to death. Like, we, we don't face that in here in this room. I doubt any of you have ever faced that in your life. There are some people in the world who do. And so we want to remember that. We want to be grateful that we have the freedom to worship God uh, in church this morning. We want to be grateful for that. We want to remember those who can't do that. And we want to pray for them. We want to send help to them through missionary efforts. But for us, as we just think about fear, what, what do we fear? I would imagine in a room like this, there's a variety of things that we fear, from the biggest things to the smallest things. And so I know I have a fear of cotton. It's true. Specifically the kind that go in the medicine bottles, right? Like, I know it's weird, right? But I can't pull them out. And so to this day, like, it just gives me the chills just thinking about it. Because I don't like the way it spreads out. I just don't like it, right? I, Fear of cotton, and so when I need Tylenol and the bottle's not open yet, I have to have my wife open the bottle for me because I have a fear of cotton, right? You may laugh at that, but you have similar kind of weird, quirky fears. Maybe it's not cotton, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's heights. Maybe it's spiders. Maybe for some of you it's germ. You're a germaphobe. 
And so somebody comes up to you that's new and they want to shake your hand and you're, and you're like, hey, bud. And you're like, hi, I'm just going to stand back here where it's safe. And so all of us have these quirky little fears, but we have bigger fears than that, don't we? According to the Huffington Post, uh, they gave the top 10 fears in 2015. We're just going to look at a few. Some of them were corruption of government officials, cyber terrorism, tracking of personal information, terrorist attacks, theft, fraud. Those are some of the top 10 fears of 2015. Maybe for some of you, you fear those things. I think maybe uh, practically we do it sometimes, but those are really things that are out of control, out of our control, aren't they? We can't really control some of those things, but there are things that are under our control that I believe are, are deeper fears that grip a lot of us. Things like fear of not being accepted, fear of being alone, fear that we won't receive approval from a family member or friends. The reality is a lot of us are gripped by those fears, some of us on a daily basis. If that's you this morning, you need to know that those fears aren't from God. Like maybe at some point in your life, you've thought, well, I'm supposed to be humble, I'm a Christian, and I'm supposed to not be arrogant because pride goes before the fall, and you think about those things, and somehow a distortion of that leads you to a place where in reality, you're walking on eggshells and all of life, and you're actually not humble, you're living in fear. And if that's you this morning, you need to know that that's not from God, that Jesus makes it clear do not fear. That rhymes. It's a good rap for our kids' ministry. Jot that down. Jesus makes it clear. Do not fear, right? And it's not just Jesus. The most repeated command in all the Bible is what? Fear not. Do not fear. So God wants you to be released from your fears, but there is a healthy fear that we all should have, and you see it in verse 5. Look at the verse. It says, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus says, if you're going to fear somebody, fear the one who has eternity in his hands. Jesus is referencing the position and the power of God. That God is Lord. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that all of creation is God's house, right? That he owns it, he protects it, he has all of it and holds all of it in his hand that all of creation is his, that, that God is Lord. And so we should fear him. And so last, uh, a few nights ago, I was talking to my oldest daughter as we were getting ready for bed, and we were reading. And so she's in first grade, she's six years old, and she's killing it, right? She's reading chapter books, and she's just full on reading at this point, which is awesome. And so we're reading right before bed, and afterwards she asked me, like, do you think there will be a library in heaven? Important question, right? Do you think there will be a library in heaven? And I'm just like, you know what, Neela, I don't, I don't know, but I think anything you want to know, you'll just be able to ask God. And we just talked about how amazing it is that God has seen all of history from every angle. Have you thought about that? From every angle. So we see a car wreck on the side of the road. We all see it from different angles. God sees it from all angles. A 360 view of not just that instance, of every instance in history. That God knows all of that. That he's seen all of that. And we talked about how amazing it would be to just listen and hear stories from God. 
from all of that. Like he's got an abundance. He's the library that never closes and never ends. And then we finished that light conversation and prayed and went to bed. And we just thought about, that's God. He's a library that never ends. He has all the knowledge. He's all powerful. He's everywhere at all times. And that Jesus is saying, fear him. Fear him. He has position and power over all of eternity. And that includes salvation and judgment. And so some of us believe God's basically good. We're basically good. And it will all work out in the end. Maybe you believe that at one point in your life. Maybe you believe that this morning. Maybe you're in that place where you don't know Jesus and you're just like, I just showed up for the free coffee or whatever. Maybe somebody brought you. And you're just like, maybe God's basically good. I'm basically good. It's all going to converge together and it will work out at the end. Maybe sometimes you think that. Maybe you have friends or family who believe that. But you need to know the reality is that God is loving and he does desire all to be saved, 2 Peter 3. But that he's also holy and just, incapable of being in the presence of sin. Right? And it, scripture teaches us that sin is when we rebel against God and we say, God, I have a better way than you. That the wages of that, the wages of sin, Romans 6, is death. That's eternal separation from God. And listen, the reality is for your friend, for your family member, and for you, if you don't know Jesus, that's where you're headed. Apart from Jesus, that's where you're headed. That's where people are headed who, who don't know Jesus, who haven't placed their faith in Jesus. And that God controls all of that. That he has all the power, including our salvation, including judgment, that he is Lord over it all. And so as we look at what Jesus is saying, some of us may respond, well, I don't like that. Well, Tim, I, that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like, I love God. God's my buddy. God's my friend. He's daddy, Abba, father. Like, I like that idea of God. Not so sure about the God who's in control of everything, even salvation and even judgment. That kind of rubs us the wrong way. Like, what gives him the right? Like, why does he get all the control? Listen, if that's the place you're in this morning, if that's the response that you have, I would just ask you this. Who do you trust more? Who would you trust more? Would you trust yourself, knowing all your sins, your mistakes, your insecurities? Would you trust somebody else, knowing all their flaws, all their deception, all their failures? Or would you trust the perfect creator and sustainer of the universe. Who should have control? It shouldn't be us. It should be him. And when we see God rightly, that he has all the position, he has all the power, that we fear him. We fear him. So what does that mean? It's tough for a lot of us. Fear is what often keeps us from God. Maybe that's your story from your childhood or from your experience in church. And you just thought God's always angry with me and you were fearful of that. You were fearful that maybe you weren't good enough and that pushed you away from the church, pushed you away from God. Maybe it's doing that today. You're here, but you're just kind of distant from God because you're worried like maybe he's not happy with me right now. Maybe he's angry with me right now. And so typically fear pushes us away but not with God, that in Scripture we see that we can love God 
and know that he loves us, but at the same time, fear him. It's a healthy fear. It's like cholesterol. Most of us think of cholesterol, we think of negative, bad, right? But there's also a good cholesterol, right? HDLs, LDLs, little nutrition lesson for you, right? Fear can be a good thing, right? Rocky, the movie's Rocky, you've seen these, right? Frankie Fear. It's a good thing. That's his friend. That's his buddy. Fear can be a good thing. It's not just a negative thing. It can be something we run to when we understand it rightly. It can, instead of pushing us away, it can help us to run to God. So it's not a fear of terror, but it is a fear of trembling. That there should be a holy reverence before the God of the universe. When you see God in all his majesty and his might, that there's a holy reverence and awe before him. You see it in Philippians 2.12. We're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You see it with Isaiah. Isaiah, a godly young prophet, he comes into the very presence of God in Isaiah 6. Listen to what he says as he does that. He says, Woe to me, I have come undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord. That Isaiah, when he sees God, when he's in his presence, he's devastated. He's overcome. And you see that anytime in Scripture somebody comes into the very presence of God, they either fall on their face or they fall on their knees before him. And you need to know that's why we gather on Sundays. We might not physically fall on your knees or your face, and you can if you would like to, but we gather on Sundays because we believe we enter into the presence of God. That we get to do that other times as well, that that Jesus is our high priest, that we go through him, the veil is removed. We can enter into God's presence anytime, but we specifically gather on Sundays corporately as a body to look at God and all of his glory, and all of his might, and all of his beauty, and all of his power, that he is the perfect creator and sustainer of all of the universe, of all of our lives. And we enter into this room, and we gather together, and we sing songs, and we look at God's word, because we want to see that God clearly, and then we want to respond accordingly. And so we want to see that God clearly and respond in adoration and celebration and repentance before him. That's why we gather every Sunday. I hope that's why you're here this morning. If it's not, I hope that you get to that place right now, that you begin to shift your focus to that's the God I want to see and respond to this morning. And so we want to run to that God, and we see why in the next few verses. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, it says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So you look at those verses. Verse 6 refers to sparrows. They didn't have much value. They were the least expensive thing to buy in the market. Yet God created them, provides for them. He's aware of the sparrows. Verse 7, people have a lot of value, right? He numbers the hairs on your head. And so you may know from other parts of Scripture, you're made in God's image, Genesis 1. Psalm 139 tells us you're knit together in your mother's womb, that he knows you intimately, that he cares for you, that you're different than the sparrows. He cares for them, that you're, you're different. He cares for you in a different way. And so as you look at God and all of his mighty and all of his power and all of his sovereignty, God's also kind, compassionate, and loving. 
he can choose to do whatever he wants. God can choose to do whatever he wants. He didn't have to create us. He didn't have to send a son for, to die for us. But he chooses you. Do you see that? Do you feel the weight of that? God can choose whatever he wants, but he chooses to care for you. And not just in a, in a trite way from afar. He chooses to care for you in a very real and tangible way. He sends Jesus Christ. He enters into human history. He puts on flesh. He lives amongst us. He lives a perfect life on our behalf. And then he goes to the cross and he gives his life for you and me, for our sin, to take all of it upon himself. And it doesn't end there. He rises again in victory, defeating Satan's sin and death. Because God, who can choose to do anything he wants, chooses to care for you. When we fear God that way, when we see God in all his majesty and all that he is, his person and his work, it doesn't cause us to run away. It causes us to run to a God like that. So if you've been in that place, if you've been running from God, today you need to know this is the God of the Bible. This is the God that we worship. You need to run to him. When we get that, it puts all other fears in perspective. When we get a God like that, when we get fearing a God like that, it puts all of their fears in perspective. And so one of the things I love about Phoenix is the proximity to the ocean, right? And so uh, a few times, my family and I have been to California, and we just go and, and pretty much don't have any plans. We just go to the beach and just want to go see the ocean and take the kids to do that. As we do that, there's some fears that well up in us, right? There's some worries that well up in us, like, do we have everything we need? Like, do we have the right sunscreen? Like, 100 for me, SPF, 30 for the rest of my family? <laughs> like, did we get the right sunscreen? Did we get the right diapers? Did we get the right snacks? Do we have the change of clothes? Do we have the change of clothes for the change of clothes because something always goes wrong? Do we have all that? So we, we have this fear, this worry as we go up to the beach. Like, do we have everything we need, the umbrella, the towels, everything? Are we going to get sand in our car? Because you can never get that stuff out. And so what preemptive actions are we going to take to put mats, to, to have a, a wash-off station before we get back in the car? We have all these fears and worries as we go to the beach and go to see the ocean. But it always happens as we finally get there, as we stand before the ocean and we see this massive expanse of water that seems to go on forever. As we stand before that and we see the, the roaring waves, as we feel the power of the wind against our face, as we hear all the sounds, and just this is a powerful, massive body of water. It has tides and currents that we can feel and we can see that can take you from one place to another place in a minute. That as we stand before that, we think, this is powerful enough to kill everyone. But it's also powerful enough to give life to everyone. In that moment, as we look at that ocean, as we think about how beautiful it is, how glorious it is, how powerful it is, and how yet peaceful it is, you know what we're not thinking about? getting sand in our car, SPF 50 or SPF 100. If we forgot the umbrella, 
we're not thinking about those things anymore. And it's not because those things don't matter. It's because something matters more. Do you see that? It's not because those things aren't a big deal. It's because we're standing in front of a, a bigger deal. You need to know that as you see God and all his power and all his strength and all his might, that he's sovereign over the entire universe, but that he also chooses to care for you, that his character is compassionate, kind, righteous. As you see that God and you fear him rightly, it diminishes all other fears. So that those things that you're scared of in life, those family that you want approval from, that job that you have just a fear of, am I actually going to succeed in this? And those fears begin to diminish. They look a lot smaller when you fear the one true God. And that's the place we want to get to when we fear God. That we see it rightly, that it's a healthy fear. It causes us to run to him, run away from our other fears. Don't see those as big of a deal because we see God and all of his glory. And so what does it mean to fear God? Man, we want to respond to that God in awe and adoration and even sometimes in trembling. And so maybe that, maybe that doesn't resonate with you. Maybe you're still trying to get there. Maybe you're, you're not there yet. I want to just give you three things. There's lots of reasons why this matters, why it's so important. I want to just give you three. The first one is God's glory. God's glory. To give glory means to ascribe worth. And so when we fear God, when we see God rightly, when we show him rightly to other people, we reflect his glory. We point people to a God who's not a buddy, not just our friend, but who, a God who is majestic, who's in control, who's sovereign. That we bring glory to God when we see him and treat him this way. The second thing is it brings wisdom to us. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge that fools despise wisdom. And so a right fear of God brings knowledge and wisdom. Because when you fear God as Lord, you realize that everything belongs to him. That everything belongs to him. So your money belongs to him. Your time belongs to him. Your possessions, your plan, it all belongs to him. That we're just stewards of it, and so we want to use that wisely. So when we fear God, it brings wisdom. So several years ago, a friend of ours gave us a dining table. It's still our dining table today. It's an amazing dining table. They were moving to Scotland, and they just gave it to us. It's an amazing gift. And so in these past few years, we've had kids. We've got three of them now. We've got a lot of stuff going on. And this table can sometimes be at risk of being damaged, of getting scratches, of getting Play-Doh or some kind of slime or goo stuck to it. And so we take really good care of that table. So we clean it. We bought some polish. We polish it. And to be honest, we take better care of that table from them as a gift than we would ourselves. Because at some point, they could come back from Scotland and maybe not want it back, but they could at least see it, and we want to make sure it's intact, right? We don't want them to say, like, what happened to my table? It was so nice seven years ago. What happened? Well, we had kids. I don't you know, like, we don't want to have to say that. We want to say, no, it's still looking as nice as it ever 
did, that we're stewards of this amazing gift and we want to take good care of it. That when you view God rightly as Lord, as creator of all things, that we're just stewards of that and you fear him rightly, it brings wisdom. You want to handle your money, your time, your possessions, everything God has given you with care and with wisdom because it's his, because you're just a steward of it. So a right fear of God brings glory to him, it brings wisdom to you, and it brings freedom. Leonard Ravenhill, an evangelist and author in the UK, said this. He said, a man who is intimate with God is not intimidated by man. A man who is intimate with God is not intimidated by man. That when we fear God, we are freed from other fears. And so this morning, as you fear God rightly, you can overcome a fear of getting hurt in relationships because you can trust that God is your protector. You can overcome a fear of finances because you can trust that God is your provider. You can overcome a fear of failure because you can trust that God, he has a plan. And so I don't know how you've seen the fear of God, but if we understand it rightly, if we respond accordingly, it brings immense freedom. And so what do we do with that? I want to just give you two things. You can write these down. Two steps to take to see God rightly, to respond to him rightly, to fear him, to not fear man. The first thing is this. I want you to ask, do I have a high view of God? Do I have a high view of God? Have I diminished God to a buddy, to my pal, to the guy I come to when I need something? Do I have a high view of God? I want you to write that down. I want you to ask that question today. Do I have a high view of God? If the answer is no or I'm not sure, that you would repent of that, that you would confess and repent of a low view of God, that maybe he's become numb to you. Maybe you've done this church thing your whole life. Maybe this is what you do on Sundays. Maybe it's what you do. You go and you open your Bible. It's, these are all these things you do, and you just go through the motions. And if you're honest, that high view of God, that awe of God, that holy reverence for God is gone. That we would today, that we would collectively today confess that and repent of that before him. That we would confess a placing and elevating other fears above him. So as we fear for our kids' safety, which we do, as we fear credit card fraud, which we do, as we fear terrorist attacks, I mean, those are all things we can fear. But are you fearing those things over and above the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the one who controls all of life, including salvation and judgment? He has eternity in his hands. Have we placed other things above God? Do you fear God? Do you view him? Do you have a high view of him? The second thing, that you would take a step of faith in the midst of fear. You would take a step of faith in the midst of fear. That you would either lovingly confront or boldly proclaim. So lovingly confront that there may be someone in your life you need to speak a hard truth to. And maybe that's somebody that you need to apologize to for something you have done that's wrong, that person. And if you're honest, every time you think about doing that, this fear grips you and just think, I'll wait till next week that you would take a step of faith in the midst of fear and you would go to that person, that you would apologize, that you would repent to them. As fearful of you as you are of that situation, that you would trust God more than yourself and you would go to that person. If there's somebody in your life that is intimidating you, that's, that's wronging you, that 
is doing bad things to you, that you would go to them. And maybe you would take somebody. If you've been abused or it's a serious situation like that, don't go by yourself. It's okay to bring somebody else. It's okay to contact authorities. But you go to them and you confront them in a loving way because that fear that you had of that is diminished by your fear of God. And he says, speak the truth in love. And so you would go to that person. And if it's not an intense situation like that, you would go to them today. You would go to them and say, hey, I've been seeing this in your life. It doesn't align with God. And it needs to get out. I love you. I want that for you. I'm fearful to even say this to you right now, but I love you enough to tell you this. That in your community group this week, it wouldn't just be like, hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. How's your week going? Good. No, you would talk about things that matter and walk in repentance. Why? Because you're no longer fearful of those things. You have a right fear of God. So you would step out and lovingly confront where you need to. And you would also boldly proclaim. For a lot of us, we have a fear of praying in private and public. We have a fear of talking about Jesus. We have a fear of talking to our neighbor about Jesus, our coworker who we know doesn't know Jesus. We have those thoughts of maybe I should invite this guy to church. Maybe I should invite my family member to church. But if we're honest, we don't do that because we're fearful. That you would take a step of faith in the midst of fear and you would decide today, I'm going to boldly proclaim in one of those situations. And so tomorrow at work, when we're talking about sports, I'm going to transition that conversation to Jesus. I'm not going to make it weird. I'm not going to force it, but I'm going to talk about God. I'm going to tell that person that God's made a difference in my life, that God's played a significant role in my life. Everything doesn't always go perfect, but God's here with me. Have you ever experienced something like that in the midst of your trial? You would take that opportunity to boldly proclaim Jesus, to invite somebody to church, for some of you to pray with your spouse. Men, this can be sometimes the most fearful thing for a lot of us. I've been married nine years. I'm a pastor. And there's times, not all the time anymore, but there's times where I think about praying with my spouse, but fear grips me, and I don't. Because I just think we know each other so well. We know, like, what just happened. We know our crazy day. And if I come to her and try to pray with her right now, that'll seem superficial. And I have this fear within me, and I step back, and we just go to sleep. Men, that you wouldn't let that fear grip you. That you would tonight, that today... You would say, I'm going to step out in faith in the midst of this fear and say, let's pray together. Let's read scripture together. That you would boldly proclaim in the midst of your fear. That you would take a step of faith because you've seen God rightly and you fear him rightly. Take one of those steps this morning. Proverbs 19 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. My prayer for you, my prayer for our church is that we would take a step in one of these directions today so that we could cultivate a healthy fear of God. Let's do that as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to respond to you. I pray that we would. I thank you that you are a big God, that you are bigger than any of our fears, fears of the government, fears of praying with our spouse, the big fears, the little fears, that when we stand before you, and we see you and all of your majesty that every other fear diminishes. And so, God, I pray specifically for those men and women in this room who've never seen you that way before. 
who have never seen you for who you really are, I pray that you would bring conviction. I pray that you would bring revelation, that you would reveal yourself this morning as you are, that they would see that clearly, that at least this morning they could walk away saying, I don't want to trust you, I don't believe in this God, but they would at least see you clearly. And I pray that they wouldn't do that. I pray that they would respond, you would soften their heart, and they would trust in you this morning, maybe for the first time. And that we would respond in holy reverence and awe and even a trembling that we see a God who is all powerful but all loving. We would respond in, in awe and run to you even as we sing songs, as we take communion, that we would take those steps this morning. Help us to do that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you take these few moments to respond, uh, that we just don't walk through the motions.